Our sermon text is Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. All right, y'all can have a seat. Now, I want to invite you to turn with me to the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We're beginning a, what will end up being a lengthier series through the book of Genesis. Likely, well obviously we're beginning today, we will likely finish this either around Easter, maybe even take it beyond Easter, depends on how we want to handle chapters 12 through 50, but we will be beginning our series through the book of Genesis today. Genesis 1, 1. Now, they say that you can't really say or write anything on the early chapters of Genesis without making enemies. You, you can't say, you can't write anything on these early chapters of Genesis without making enemies. And that's because maybe you haven't visited the early chapters of Genesis in a while, but the early chapters of Genesis are very controversial, very controversial within the church between the church and those outside the church it's just full of controversy so why would we preach through genesis this semester well i mean it's obvious right i don't think we've had enough controversy this year you know like this there's, there's not enough controversy in the world there's not enough controversy in the church so you know i just i don't know it's kind of been a dull year you know i just wanted to spice things up see if we could you know have more debates and see how many you know folks could be disagreeing on something else you know i mean uh, obviously um i'm kidding but studying genesis in community which is exactly what we're going to do in our gatherings in our life groups studying genesis in community will require humility so just forewarning to you if you're going to take this journey with us through this book you're gonna need to be ready to chill out chill out is, is that okay for me to say is that a is that a pastoral comment maybe that'll be the new way that i counsel you come in you've got a problem and if it's not really a problem i just say i don't know maybe you just need to chill you know i don't know um i need to hear that from time to time i need to, i need people to tell me hey look dude like i know you're really upset about this but just just chill, okay? So we're going to need to be a little chill as we approach these very heavy, very important, very significant uh, early chapters in the book of Genesis, especially over the next couple months as we discuss this in life group. But we're not preaching through Genesis because we just love controversy and we want to see people, uh, you know, be on either side of an issue. We're preaching through Genesis for a few reasons. First, because we believe in our preaching ministry that one of the best things we can do for you is to give you the whole counsel of God. So that means that we don't just preach parts of the Bible that we like. We don't just preach parts of the Bible that make us feel good. We want to give you the whole word of God, the whole counsel. And so one way to do that is by preaching through the book of Genesis. Uh, the last time we were preaching through a book of the Bible, we were in the New Testament, and we preached through Galatians. And so now we're switching to the Old Testament, and we just said, okay, which book starts with a G? Because Galatians, Genesis, no, that's not what we did. Um, but we wanted to go back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and we chose to land on Genesis. It's the word of God that drives our preaching calendar. But another reason that we're preaching through Genesis is that Genesis is very foundational. It's, it's foundational to our understanding of God. 
It's foundational to our understanding of ourselves, and it's foundational to, the, to our understanding of the rest of Scripture. If you think back to our, Genesis, or our Galatians series, would it have even been possible to preach Galatians without Genesis? Much of Galatians would not make any sense apart from the book of Genesis. It's really foundational for the rest of the Bible. But Genesis is also, even though one of the more ancient books we have in the Bible, strikingly relevant. It's so relevant. Throughout Genesis, we're going to cover, among other things, the following issues. We're going to cover the origin of the universe, the worth and dignity of human beings, gender, marriage, sin, murder, abuse, idolatry. I mean, you know, we could do a topical series and try to cover all these important issues. We could look at the newspaper. We could look, you know, on TV and say, what's happening in the world? Let's preach based on that. But why would we do that? We can just come to the Bible and preach through it verse by verse, and we'll run into these issues. They're all over the place, especially in the book of Genesis. The last reason, I think this is the most important reason. Genesis shrinks us down to size. Shows us who we really are. It shows us who God really is and how we compare to him. The first word in the Hebrew Bible is translated into English as beginning. That's the first word of the Bible, beginning. It's, it's where we get the word Genesis. And it's an appropriate title because Genesis is a book of beginnings. In Genesis, we will encounter the beginning of the universe, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of sin and death, the beginning of culture, art, music, the beginning of nations and civilizations and we will encounter the beginning of God's redemptive plan but most importantly and most significantly and most easily overlooked is the book's introduction to the God who begins everything but is himself before the beginning Genesis is divided very neatly into two sections you have Genesis 1 through 11 and then you have Genesis 12 through 50. So we're going to walk verse by verse through Genesis 1 through 11 between today and Advent. And then we're going to jump back into Genesis 12 in January and see, see how far it takes us. But this morning, we're just going to look at the very first book of the Bible. And we'll get a little bit of a glimpse into the second verse. There are really, when you look at Genesis 1, 1 through 2... Only two primary things to see here. The short verses, only two things we see here. That God existed before anything else, and everything else finds its origin in God. That's, that's the point of Genesis 1, 1 through 2. Before the beginning, there was God and nothing else. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend this morning reflecting, meditating, thinking on this simple idea that before the beginning there was, there was God and there was nothing else. And of course, there are endless things we could say, but I, I just want to set some context, and then after I set some context, now don't, don't freak out with what I'm about to say, okay? Don't, don't get too scared. I'm just going to forewarn you in the middle of a sentence, all right? I'm going to set some context, and then I'm going to walk us through seven implications. Seven, okay? So, hey, you're the second service. Like, I have the, till the end of the day. So, you know, it's, it's really, there's nothing that's prohibiting me. I'm not, I, should have, I should have edited in the middle and said, oh, we got 14 points, you know, this morning. 
Um, but no, we, we, have, we have seven. Seven implications of this simple idea that God is before the beginning. Let's consider some context first, though. When we get to Genesis 1-1, we usually skip right past it, don't we? In your Bible reading plan, you know, maybe that first day, your plan is to read the first chapter of Genesis. And it's a great chapter to read. It fits in very neatly. We get to the days of creation. Really, what we do with Genesis 1-1 is we leave it for the kids to memorize. You know, it's a great, easy memory verse for the children. But even with the children, when we teach you know, the early chapters of Genesis, we skip over Genesis 1-1, and we just get straight into the days of creation. You know, we walk them through each day of creation. But Genesis 1-1 might just be the most significant foundational sentence ever written. I mean, we really can't go back any further than the phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Tradition tells us that Moses is the author of Genesis. So here's what we can infer from that. It was likely written around the late 15th century BC, around or sometime following the Israelite exodus from Egypt. So Genesis was probably written around that time when the Israelites were freed from Egypt in that, in that great exodus. And I just want you to think for a second what that would have been like to these original readers and hearers of Genesis 1-1. These Israelites... They had heard from their, from their parents, from, from others in the community. They had heard about the God of their fathers. They had witnessed the miraculous power of God in delivering them from slavery. And, and this God had created a new nation out of them, and he had given them the law. And so, you know, I'm sure they had so many questions as they were asking, you know, they're continuing to hear about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's, these are our origins. These are our forefathers. And they probably were like, well, can we go back further? Where do we come from? What, what is it about this God? Who is he? This God who has rescued us. This God you keep telling us about. Who is he? And Genesis 1-1 seems so ordinary to us. Well, I mean, that's why we just, we just skip right past it. We just assume God's creation of the universe. We, we take it for granted. We, we aren't very shocked when we read that God created the heavens and the earth because it's already embedded into our worldview. We were taught that as children. It's not a, of course, of course he did. Of course God created the heavens and the earth. And then we argue with people who would say, you know, that there is no God. But for the people who originally read this and heard this, it was not, you know, an assumption. This was new. For ancient Near Eastern peoples, the assumption would not have existed even. The Israelites had lived in Egypt for generations. They had been exposed to the pantheon of Egyptian gods. And creation stories for ancient Near Eastern cultures were full of chaos and violence and drama. You see, Christians, Jews, were not the only ones with creation stories. There were, there were other cultures at the time that had their own creation stories. And in these creation stories, the various gods, they would fight one another for more power. And in the midst of all of that chaos and drama, they would violently create the world or people or whatever it was. It's, it's a little too graphic or I would share, you know, the actual accounts. There were gods of sun, moon, and stars. And, you know, obviously when we read throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites, they're so prone to worship these gods. And we give them a hard time, but it's the environment in which they grew up in. The opening lines of Genesis 
established a true understanding about the God who had rescued the Israelites from bondage. In this one statement, Moses shatters the polytheistic paradigm of his day. One day, in the distant past, Moses says, there was one God who created everything. But even more mind-blowing than that is the truth that the God who not only rescued but created the Israelites is himself eternal. The simple conclusion of Genesis 1-1 is that there was a beginning to the universe. That's, that's at least what we could say. If you look at Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, we can easily take away from that the universe began. There's a beginning. There's a starting point. Time, space, and matter, they all have a starting point. But we can also affirm at least one more thing, that God was before the beginning of time and space and matter and everything else. God does not have a starting point. So essentially, in the beginning, God means before the beginning, God. So there are essentially, most basically, two categories then of things or beings or stuff in the world. Only two categories when you think of it on the macro level. There's God, and then there's everything else. There's God and not God. There's the creator and there's the creation, and there's nothing in between. God existed before anything else, and everything else finds its origin in God. That's, that's the idea. That's the simple idea I want you to take away. But what does it all mean? Why does it matter? What does it mean? Seven implications. Seven. You ready? Number one, if God is before the beginning, then God is eternal. If God is before the beginning, then God is eternal. Whichever way we look to the vanishing points of the beginning or the vanishing points of the end, God is there having always been there. Psalm 90, verse 2, we read it this morning. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, as, we, as we've seen, this was countercultural when it was first written, but it's also countercultural now. Materialism and naturalism are worldviews that claim, in the words of Carl Sagan, the cosmos is all there is or has been or will be. As Christians, we believe and confess that the cosmos had a beginning, but its creator did not. The mountains as majestic and ancient as they are, had a beginning. The earth, the sky, the seas, the deepest reaches of outer space all had a beginning. But before the stars sung the Lord's praises, the Lord was there. Man, Genesis really shrinks us down to size. We are so impressed with ourselves, aren't we? We're so impressed with ourselves. We, we get so hung up on our own awesomeness, our own greatness. We, we're obsessed with our accomplishments, our families, our imprint on the world. We, we magnify ourselves. We, we, we believe that everyone sees everything that we do. We can be seen by others. And so every single offense against us is a massive offense because of the ways that we elevate ourselves. 
when we stand in awe of ourselves in this way, it's impossible for us to stand in awe of God. We can't do it. We get in our own way. If, if you think you're awesome, you don't have any more real estate in your mind and heart to see God as awesome. But how can we be impressed or obsessed with ourselves after encountering, encountering the Bible's opening verses? If God is before the beginning of even the mountains and galaxies, then we are just a speck in the grand scheme of the universe. We're a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. Generations of people have come and gone before we even took our first breath. And generations of people will come and go after we breathe our last. I mean, that, that's a humbling thought. Maybe we're not as awesome as we think we are. But God is undeniably awesome. He is from everlasting to everlasting. No beginning and no end. So if you do nothing else this morning, I, please, behold the majesty and awesomeness of our God. All right, number two. Number two, God is not just eternal. Number two, if God is before the beginning, then God is independent of his creation. God is independent of his creation. Now, God is not part of the creation. He's distinct. He is, he is set apart. And also, God doesn't need any part of his creation. Everything else, as we've said, that is not God finds its origin in God. God had to create for anything to exist. And now I really want you to think about that for a second. Because, you know, as much as we make fun of or maybe roll our eyes at the Israelites or ancient peoples who, who worshiped the sun and the stars and the moon, I think we could at least admit the universe is very impressive. I mean, the universe is impressive. I mean, have you ever just, you know, been driving and you see a full moon? And it just, it's just striking, right? Like it, it comes from behind, well, not as many hills down here, but when it comes from behind the tree line and you see a full moon, it's just, I mean, it blows your mind a little bit. We take vacations to beautiful places. Why do we do that? I mean, we literally will take vacations to sit out on a, on a deck somewhere to just stare at something. It's because it's beautiful. It's impressive. You know, you stare, you, if you ever, have you ever had a telescope, you look into space, you know, you see the stars, you hear, it, it's impressive. We just got back from Kentucky, and, and that land up there is so beautiful. I mean, it was, I was telling people, like, it was really therapeutic for me just to drive through the horse farms, and, and then to, like, drive from western Kentucky to eastern Kentucky and see the hills start to roll in, and they become mountains. It's beautiful. The universe is impressive. Without God, none of it could even exist. None of it. Nothing in creation would e even exist, let alone impress us. And God created all of it. And unlike us, he didn't need any pre-existing materials in order to make it. He made it all out of nothing. God is not co-eternal with pre-existing materials. It's God and nothing else, and then he created everything by the power of his word. Here's the takeaway. Everything in creation depends on God, including you and me. God doesn't need you. That's humbling. 
Maybe in a couple of weeks, Avery will make you feel better with the Imago Day sermon from, from Genesis 1, uh, 26 to 30. I'm the bad guy this morning. We're talking about how awesome God is, which means I got to talk about how bad we are. I'm sorry. But God doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. But we need him. We can't get that twisted. We can't get that twisted. God is not dependent on us for sustenance or satisfaction. He doesn't need us to be himself. He is the only true self-sufficient one. So let's not get it twisted with who needs who. God doesn't need us, but we need him. And if he is able to create the heavens and the earth, what isn't he able to do for you? Do you feel your need for God? Or are you good? Are you good? Do you need God? Do you wake up feeling, I need God today. I need him. I fear we often don't. Do you express your dependence on him in prayer? Do you believe that he can do all that you ask of him and more? We can depend on our independent God because even though he does not need us, he cares for us. But it's important to affirm both of those truths. Okay, so God is eternal, he's independent. Number three, if God is before the beginning, then God is sovereign over his creation. If God is before the beginning, then God is sovereign over his creation. If he is the creator, then he is the Lord of creation. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Since God and God alone existed before the universe and all that's in it, then he created the universe and all that's in it as a sovereign king. So unlike the other ancient Near Eastern creation stories, the God of the Bible isn't one God among many gods creating on behalf of or for the benefit of another deity. There is one God, one creator, so there is only one king. God doesn't create the world and then leave it to run its course. God is actively involved in his creation. And here's where verse 2 comes in. So take a look with me at verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So God begins his creation of earth with a formless, empty mass but then he majestically fills it by the creative power of his word, Genesis 1, 3 through 31. It's the filling, the, the, the beautification of, of the earth that is formless and void in the very beginning. It shows that God is intimately, actively involved in his creation. He is the sovereign king and Lord who rules over all of it and who is actively involved. He is in control of the world he created. Now, do you live like you know that's true? Do you, do you live your life like you know that your God is the sovereign king over every single thing your eye can see, including your own life? Do you live like you know that's true, or do you just, do you just nod your head and know that's true? Because there's a difference. We're prone to worry but even when we're prone to worry, we can reasonably entrust our lives in God's hands. We can trust him to bring order to our chaotic lives. We can trust him with the unknown. We can, we can run to him when we're not sure what to do next 
because he is the sovereign king of all that is. All right, number four. So God is eternal, God is independent, God is sovereign. Number four, if God is before the beginning, then life is meaningful. This is important. Life is meaningful. Since God is not part of the universe, but distinct and before the universe as creator, life is not a series of random events. Hear me. Your life matters. Whether you feel like that today or not, your life matters. Now, that's only true if Genesis 1-1 is true. Because if the naturalists are right and there is no God, we, we really don't have any purpose. We, we really are just a highly evolved species running out our biological clocks. If there is no God, then morality really has no basis. It's not tethered to anything. If there is no God, then we have no reason to expect or demand love, peace, joy, or justice from anyone. If there is no God, life really is just survival of the fittest, and we really have no future awaiting us except for decomposition. That's the future that's out there for us if there is no God. But here's what we read. Don't skip the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. The truth of the Bible's first four words teach us that our lives and how we live them matter. You are not an accident. You are here for a reason. And, and like I said, we're going to talk about the Imago Dei in a, in a few weeks, so I'm not going to jump into it here. But I just want you to know now that since God predates creation, your existence is an intentional and powerful and loving work of God. Your life matters because God is before the beginning. Number five. Number five. If God is before the beginning, then love is before the beginning. If God is before the beginning, then love predates the universe, or then love is before the beginning. And here's, here's where we draw this. God, when we say in the beginning, God, we are speaking of a certain kind of God. Who is this God? What is his nature? This is a triune God. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We see this in a couple ways. The Hebrew word that's used for God is in the plural, yet the pronouns are singular. And even though that in and of itself doesn't imply a triune God, we also know that before the beginning, God the Father had company. We see in verse 2 the Spirit hovering over the dark, formless earth. And we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus, God the Son, was also present before the creation of the universe. The three persons of the Trinity then, Father, Son, and Spirit, existed in eternal harmony and love for one another before any human ever walked the face of the earth. So here's what this means. God was alone, but he wasn't lonely. He didn't summon all of his power to create beings in order to express his love. So love and community are based in the very being of God. You have a new motivation to join a life group. You, you have a new motivation to love one another. It is in your very nature to love one another because you are created in the image of God. And if you're created in the image of God, God is love. 
and love existed before the beginning. Number six, if God is before the beginning, then God alone is worthy of worship. Now, the Israelites, they really struggled with this. Okay, time and time again, they succumbed to the religions of the nations around them. They wanted to syncretize their worship. They, they did not feel comfortable standing out as a group that only believed in one God. And that one God said, don't make an image of me. So they stood out. They were called to stand out, but they, they were uncomfortable with that. At times, they desired to worship the creation instead of the creator. But only the creator is worthy of our worship, and only the creator can actually bear the weight of our worship. So think about that. When idols creep back into your life, when, when those things that, that if you lost them, you don't think you could carry on anymore, that's, that's idol territory. Whenever you think about that thing, if it's not God, then it's something else. You are worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Know that whatever it is, whether it's family or career, whatever it is, it cannot handle the weight of all of your love and devotion and hope. It will crumble, and it will cause you to implode. But God, the eternal God, who is before all things, not only is he worthy of our worship, but he alone can bear the weight of our worship. So if God is before the beginning, then God alone is worthy of worship. Finally, seven, if God is before the beginning, then only God is able to create. Only God is able to create. It's simple, but it connects directly to the gospel. When we come to Genesis 1, do you know what we do? We do it every time, every single time we come to Genesis 1. We want to talk about how the world was created and when the world was created. And we want to debate it, and we want to get into it, and we want to know, know all the answers to that. But Genesis 1 doesn't really give us answers to those questions. And it's really un unfortunate, because when we do that, we miss the point of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is not about science or the mechanics of the origin of the universe. It is about the majesty of the creator. We are supposed to come away from Genesis 1 not with a date that the universe began. We are supposed to come away with it thinking, this God is awesome. He is awesome. My mind is blown. I can't believe it. Look what he has done. Look who he is. The why of creation is so much more important than the how or the what. God created the heavens and the earth to display his glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And this makes so much sense. I want you to think about a part of the universe that seems to serve absolutely no purpose at all. Okay, think about this, and Stephen Hawking, the physicist, is going to help me out here. He's talking about our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, and he says that the Milky Way is an average-sized galaxy that looks to other galaxies like a swirl in a pastry roll and is over 100,000 light years across, which is about 600 trillion miles. He says, we know that our galaxy, this is Stephen Hawking, we know that our galaxy is only one of some 100,000 million galaxies that can be seen using modern telescopes. They believe there's actually more out there. 
Each galaxy itself contains some 100,000 million stars. And the average distance between each of those 100,000 million galaxies is 3 million light years. I barely even understood, I don't even hardly understand. It just sounds huge to me, you know? God created every single speck of dust in those 100,000 million galaxies. He created every atom. And, and the overwhelming majority of the universe is uninhabitable. And it serves no utilitarian purpose. Why? Why does all of that even exist at all? The glory of the Lord. When we hear that, when we see that, we see glory and beauty. Our minds are mesmerized. Our hearts are captivated. And we are drawn beyond the creation to the creator himself. We see the imprint, the fingerprint of God everywhere in creation. So God created the heavens and the earth. And when he did, the earth was initially formless, empty, and dark. And that's because God created the earth to fill it with beauty and majesty. God loves to create. He loves to make things new. He loves to fill what is empty, to shape what is formless, and to give light to what is dark. He did this in the beginning, and he continues to do it today. Paul says as much in 2 Corinthians 4, that the God who created the universe makes us new. The God who created light shines light, the light of the gospel into our hearts. So God is able to make you new today. And if you don't believe me, just look outside on your drive home and remember that the God who created everything you see predates all of it. Such a powerful and loving God is able to make something new of you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This means that God is the creator of the world, he's distinct from the world, and he's concerned with the world. This is the beginning of the gospel. Because the God who is transcendent, so far above, so far beyond, so far before, is also imminent, so very near. He doesn't need his creation, but he provides. And one day, in the distant future from the time of the writing of Genesis, this creator God who is outside of the world would come to dwell in the world. The God who is so very far away would one day come very near. The word who is God and was with God before the beginning took on human flesh and saved us from our sin against this great God. The God of light endured darkness to defeat the darkness forever. The God of order succumbed to the chaos of suffering and death so that we might be restored. And the creator who entered his own creation and suffered at the hands of his own creation would rise from the dead to guarantee us renewal. 